You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast where the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups, the Green Lanterns that investigate crime and the Guardians of the Universe who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories. throat cancer induced episode of just one of the guys a greenlander podcast my name is sean ingle and despite the fact that i have an incredible sore throat and probably will sound like utter cat excrement i am here to deliver to you the last three episodes or issue sodes of the greenlander comic emerald dawn 2 this story covers the time that hal jordan spent in jail after he turned himself in for a drunk driving incident and it also covers basically the downfall of Sinestro. It's a really compelling story, it's really wonderfully drawn, and it's a really fun read. So I'm hoping to get to this really quick. Again, I apologize uh, if I sound really bad. Here in Oklahoma, over the past week, it's been raining cats and dogs. In fact, uh, as of the date of recording this episode, we've had a few tornadoes, actually, run through Oklahoma, which isn't uncommon, but it did do some damage and got some major news play on a bunch of the media outlets. Thankfully, my house and the houses of a bunch of my friends were spared. Uh, Norman, Oklahoma, which is south of where I live, got kind of hit bad, but thankfully, I think most people were able to get to their shelters. I don't think there was a major loss of life, which is always a good thing, because Tornadoes in Oklahoma always seem to hit at the worst times. But because of the bad weather and the changes that it brings in, in the pollen and mold count around, my allergies have been acting up something fierce. So I've been coughing like crazy and sneezing like crazy, and it's basically affected my voice. So if I don't sound as mellifluous as my voice usually does on these podcasts, I apologize, and please send an email to just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com, and I will be certain to refund all the money you spent on downloading this podcast. Of course, reason two why I probably sound like this was that I spent this Saturday night talking for about four hours with Michael Bailey and Chris Honeywell over at the Two True Freaks website doing a synopsis of the latest version of the Walking Dead comic. So, if you want to check out more of me with decent sounding voice, go to Two True Freaks and download the Walking Dead Wednesday commentary. But, that's enough shameful, raspy plugs for myself, so I'm going to take a little break here, probably get something to drink to maybe clear my throat, 
play a promo for a podcast you should be listening to, and then when I come back, we'll get started with episode four, or issue four, of Green Lantern Emerald on Two. So stay tuned. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. And we're back. I'm sorry, but in deference to my British colleagues, I am in no way, shape, or form a tea drinker. I get the whole thing about drinking tea being a British thing, but it's never caught on over here, and... If I want something caffeinated, usually I'll reach for a uh, soda of some sort, or the typical American drink, coffee, which I guess really is an American drink, but I know, I also, I'm saying this because I know tea is supposed to be a thing that helps relax the throat and helps after sore throats, but I just can't get into drinking tea, so I apologize, my British friends, Uh, tea drinking just isn't for me. Wow, that was rambling. I need to get on with the issue, which I'm going to do right now. Part 4, or Issue 4, of Emelton 2 was titled The Will to Power. The cover date was July 1991. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. The writers were Keith Giffen and Gerard Jones. The pencils were done by M.D. Bright. Inks were Romeo Tangal. Letters were Abu Guzman. Colors were Anthony Tolan. Assistant editor was Kevin Dooley, and editor was Andy Helfer. The story opens in a control room, as Kat Matui watches a view screen displaying the armed masses of Kurigar firing on the Green Lanterns. Behind her stands the Kund, who was beaten by Hal and Sinestro in Chapter 2 of Emerald Dawn 2. It seems that the two have formed a shaking alliance in order to take down Sinestro. As things look to be going well for Katma, the Kund leaves, telling her not to squander her opportunity. Meanwhile, Hal and Sinestro are doing everything they can to keep from being shot down. Sinestro rants that he had his people too well trained to revolt against him, and Hal boggles at his arrogance. 
certain that there's a leader sowing these seeds of chaos, Sinestro tears the city apart, trying desperately to find him. Finally, Hal lassos Sinestro with a ring construct and tells him that this problem is too big for the two of them, and until he has called in other lanterns. Screaming that the other lanterns will only add to the disorder, Sinestro breaks loose, Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, ensues. Hal eventually calms Sinestro down long enough for him to talk some sense into Sinestro convinces Hal that the Corps will see when he is done as tyrannical rather than benevolent, and that they will find Hal Jordan as an accomplice. With that, the two streak away from the planet, as Hal wonders to himself how he got into this and how running from it will help. Cut back to Earth, where Guy Gardner is visiting Willie in the infirmary. Guy tries to get Willie to tell him the details behind his attack, but Willie isn't going to squeal. Frustrated, Guy storms out of the infirmary, as a passing janitor congratulates Willie on keeping his mouth shut. Fearing for himself and Hal, Willie hopes that Hal is not playing space cop and is here in prison, ready to defend himself. Meanwhile, on Kurigar, the masses are cheering the courage of their leader, Kat Matui, and their defeat against the tyrant Sinestro. But their celebration is interrupted by the arrival of members of the Green Lantern Corps. Certain that they are here for retribution, Katma opens fire on them. Tomare pulls her up to the lantern's level as she struggles to free herself, fearing torture. Torture! Torture! Tomar wonders why she would view the Corps in such a manner when he finally sees the banners that line the city's streets, all of them adorned with the image of Sinestro. Seeing that the planet's defender has overstepped his authority, Tomar contacts the Guardians with his findings. Troubled that Sinestro has gone too far in the name of cosmic, cosmic order and drawn his trainee into his plan as well, the Guardians unleash the one thing a Green Lantern never wants to see. The Fists of the Guardians. Now, listening to myself say the name of the defenders that the Guardians have in order to bring to justice Green Lanterns who got out of line, I realized that there could be a pretty filthy connotation in their name. I mean, Fists of the Guardians, yeah, that's something that you'd probably find on a website that would probably be blocked at well, pretty much any place that you'd ever want to go on the internet. But disregarding the dirtiness of that, um, with Emerald Dawn, the initial storyline, we got to see the heroic journey of Hal Jordan. And in Emerald Dawn 2, this series, we get to see the tragic downfall of Sinestro. And it's really a nice parallel between the two characters. And it's really good to see that we are given the origin of the Green Lantern Corps' best-known villain. And we give it being told in a manner that gives a reason for his dismissal from the Corps. I don't know if this was ever really fully realized or even talked about in previous issues of the Green Lantern series. But they've done a really good job in this issue, in these issues. So, let's get to some notes here. We'll start with the cover, which is a nice cover of Hal being hung all 
crucifixion style on one of the uh, poles where the banners of Sinestro's face hangs on the uh, planet of Kurigar, with all the citizens of Kurigar cheering the fact that they have captured and are getting ready to, it looks like, execute a Green Lantern. It's a nice image, but damn it, Hal seems to get these crucifixion images quite often. The poor guy just can't catch a break. Page one, we get an image of Cat Matui looking at the view screen as the members of the Kurigarian infantry, or basically the rebels, are firing on the Green Lanterns, and it's a nice dramatic shot, except for Sinestro, again, who feels the need, rather than dodging the blast, to do a bit of river dance style dancing. He did it before in Emerald Dawn 1, and he's doing it again now, so maybe Sinestro's just a big Michael Flatley fan. And who wouldn't be? Well, aside from everyone. Page 2, panel 1, we get the Kund from issue number 2 getting his revenge on the Green Lanterns. Now, obviously, the alliance between Katma and the people of Kurigar and the Kunds isn't very friendly, and I've also got to kind of wonder, I don't think Sinestro would allow his citizenry to keep weapons, especially weapons that could affect Green Lanterns, so you've got to think that the Kund here is dealing in international arms trade, so that makes him even more of a horrendous villain. Page 4, we get a really awesome splash page of Sinestro just basically losing it. He has the feeling that someone is controlling his people, and he's going to go find this person and basically lay a smackdown on him. And the image is just really great. We get Sinestro flying towards, flying out of the panel with his fist balled up, and his his eyes are all cockeyed, and one eye is squinting, and the other eye is wide open. He looks absolutely deranged, and he looks like he's going to tear someone apart. It's really great art from Bright and Tangal, and it really shows how far Sinestro has come apart, and how this idea of keeping order on his planet, and the order being destroyed by whomever, has caused him to lose it. After that, like I said in the synopsis, there's a pretty extended fight sequence, and there's some neat stuff that goes on with that. But I don't really have any specific notes until page 12, panel 4, where Hal has finally gotten the best of Sinestro, and he shot him down, and Sinestro's spitting around as Hal's hitting him with a bunch of blasts from his ring, and he's saying, Yes, strike me, beat me, break me down. So, you kind of wonder, being a control freak, is Sinestro also a bit of a bondage freak? Uh, I don't want to think about it, but it might be the case. Page 15, panel 5, we get another panel of Guy having to deal with his anger. Now, I know they're trying to paint Guy as a pretty much one-dimensional character whose only real motivation is the fact that he can't control his anger. You know, it's a nice start in the development of Guy Gardner's character, which will be carried on throughout his solo series, but... It still just sort of paints Guy as this one-dimensional character who's basically motivated only by anger. And that's not how I see Guy. But at least they're trying to expand on his character a little more than him just being a sort of brain-dead bruiser, which is, which is nice. Then on page 18, panel 1, it looks like the Guardians has bas- have basically called in their big guns to go tackle the problem on Kurigar, as here in the panel we obviously, well, see, well, Kilowog and Tomar Ray and about 
about a dozen more Green Lanterns coming down to try and quell the violence or find out what's going on. So the Guardians don't waste any uh, lesser Lanterns to come and check on this situation. And finally, page 22, we get this nice splash page of these giant beefed-up androids that are the fists of the Guardians. Now, you would think that the Guardians had gotten the idea that after the Manhunter debacle that they shouldn't go with robots as their sort of defenders, but they did this time, and this time they made them the coolest robots ever. Why? Because essentially they are wearing Guy Gardner's uniform. Yes, these are giant robots with the crossed vest, sleeveless coat that Guy Gardner wears as a uniform later in the series. It is just totally awesome, and I think there's even a bit, either in the Guy Gardner solo series or later on in the letters column where someone writes in about Emerald Dawn 2 and the costumes of the Fist of the Guardians, commenting on how they are so much like Guy's uniform, and I think the editors actually have, quote-unquote, Guy respond to the writer saying, yeah, the Guardians allowed Guy to choose a uniform that was the most badass of all the uniforms out there. So it's a kind of neat setup slash callback to Guy Gardner. I really enjoyed it. But that's it for notes for episode four, or issue episode four. Take a quick break, try and get my voice back in shape, and come back with issue five here after this promo. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Billions. Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? Well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs> Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at greatcrypton.com. And after a terrible hacking fit and a few doses of NyQuil which might cause me to fall asleep during the podcast, so be prepared for that. Let's go ahead and get back into Issue 5 of Emerald Dawn Part 2. Issue 5 was titled The Price of Power. The cover date was August 1991. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. The plot and breakdowns were by Keith Given, 
dialogue was Gerard Jones. Pencils, M.D. Bright. Inks, Romeo Tonkal. Letters, Albert Guzman. Colories, Anthony Tolan. Assistant Editor, Kevin Dooley. And Editor, Abby Helfer. The story opens with Sinestro and Hal sitting on an asteroid, orbiting a lonely gas giant. As Sinestro wonders why his well-ordered citizens could turn against him, Hal wonders how long they've been on the run. Using his ring to create a clock construct, amazingly synced to time.nst.gov, he sees that they've been away from Earth for over two days. Hal freaks out, fearing that the prison will think that he escaped while Sinestro feels that the prison would be a perfect place to hide for those who would be tracking them. Meanwhile, back in the prison, Clendon, the guy that Hal encountered in Issue 3, and his gang are making escape plans. They throttle a guard, steal his gun, shoot another guard, and make their way to Hal Jordan's cell. Hoping for some retribution, Clendon tears apart Hal's empty cell looking for the ring, but he finds nothing. With neither Hal nor the ring turning up in the search, Clendon moves to the next person who is close with Hal, Gentleman Willie. In the infirmary, Willie talks with Guy Gardner about Hal's disappearance, complaining about Hal pulling a stunt like this when he was only in for a misdemeanor. Guy threatens Willie until the group of escapees storms the infirmary. The horde takes Guy hostage and threatens to shoot him and Willie if they don't tell him where Jordan is. Guy screams that Clendon is losing it as the inmates drag him away, and Willie is left in traction, hoping for Hal's quick return. Luckily, Hal's return is quick, but it's noticed by the night watchman. Entering the cell to the sound of the prison alarm, Hal and Sinestro head to the infirmary to find Willie. He fills the lanterns in on the hostage situation, and Sinestro rewards him by assuming his form and teleporting him out of the prison via his ring. Still frustrated with Sinestro's lack of understanding of the situation, Hal and Will Estro try to make it back to the safety of his cell. Meanwhile, the escapees are making their way through the prison to the monitoring center. After Clendon shoots another prisoner, Guy mutters to one of the accompanying escapees that their leader is losing it, and he will cost them all of their lives. The escapee tells Guy to stuff it, as the mob has finally re reached the control room. In the meantime, the Fist and the Guardians have discovered the Rogue Lantern's energy trails, and have tracked it to the asteroid around the gas giant. Doing further scans, the Avenging Automatons find the remaining energy trails that take the Lanterns on a course to Sector 2814 and Earth. Back in the prison, things are getting progressively worse for the mob, as Clendon is losing it big time. Thinking that he could easily find the ring, he threatens one of his accomplices at gunpoint for doubting him. But before he can pull the trigger, Clendon sees Hal and Willestro running through the prison. Planning to stop them, Clendon orders all the cells open, and the prison riot ensues. Hal and Willestro use the chaos to make their way back to safety, before they can get back to Hal's cell, they are confronted by Clendon. Holding Guy at gunpoint, Clendon demands that Hal give him the ring. Giving a glance to Will Estro, Hal tosses the ring into Clendon. He is overcome by the power and blasts through some walls with some energy beams. Thinking it would be nice to see what the ring could do to a human, 
Clendon prepares to put an end to Willie. And with that, Willestro transforms back to Sinestro and easily disarms the convict, returning the ring to its rightful owner. But during the tussle, Guy has gotten a hold of the gun and is prepared to shoot Clendon. Shouting that he's a criminal and an animal, Guy leaps on Clendon and lays a beatdown. Before he can choke the life out of the convict, Hal uses a ring construct hand to pull Guy off of him and wrap him up in a construct restraint. Marveling at the chaos around him, Sinestro mind-wipes Clendon. Having calmed down and realizing that he almost killed a man, Guy ponders what just went on. Sinestro says he will not have to wonder long, as he prepares to mind-wipe Guy as well. But Hal intervenes, to which Sinestro rebukes him, saying that the chaos must stop, and that he will be the one to stop it. However, all of that is interrupted as the trio is confronted by the fists of the Guardians. Much like issue 5 of Emerald Dawn 1, or I guess just Emerald Dawn, this issue is kind of a punchy-punchy run-run issue. I mean, it's not entirely like that, but the issue does jump around a lot, from Sinestro and Hal in space, to Guy and Willie in the infirmary, to Clendon and the rest of the escapees trying to take over the prison. It's all over the place. It's a dense issue, and it was kind of hard to cover, but I did my best to synopsize it, and hopefully my notes will help clear some of that up. So, starting with page 3, panel 4, we get a shot of these two prisoners, Clendon and this other guy, saying, Nice sick act, homie. And then the other prisoner saying, Nice hands, brother. Now, the homie and brother thing, both of these guys are obviously very, very white. So, I don't know whether this is how they actually speak in prison with the sort of ghetto-type lingo, or whether this is just the writers misinterpreting how things would be going on in prison and basically just taking slang of the time and applying it to their characters. It just seems really out of place for essentially white characters to be using the slang of homie. Just me, maybe. Then page four, panel three. You know, I've fired guns before, and I know they're pretty loud, and I know silencers really don't do all that much to silence them, so I'm pretty certain that the body of a prison guard, even one that they consider to be a bit fat, would definitely not muffle the sound of a gunshot. Page 6, panel 1, we get Guy saying that you have to control your anger and use your rage, and I'm thinking, you know, just a few issues ago in the uh, Green Lantern series in Blackest Night, when Guy basically turned into a Red Lantern, he did learn to channel his rage. So, took him about 20 years and changing into a bile-spewing, vomiting, red stuff, Red Lantern, but he eventually did channel his rage, so essentially he eventually took his advice to heart. Then on page 7, panel 2, you can basically see that Guy is channeling his anger here because it's taking two two of the prison inmates to hold Guy back as he's yelling at Clendon, saying that he's losing it. Then cut to page 8, panel 4. Hey, look, the prison alarm is basically the Arsenio Hall show chant. That's kind of neat, and and also a very 90s reference for any of you youngsters who might be listening to this show. Page 10, panel 1. As Sinestro has taken Willie's form by using his ring to construct a sort of image of Willie around him, 
he basically points his ring at Willie and zaps him away. Now, we learn in the next panel that he teleported him out of the prison, but it does kind of look like Sinestro just basically disintegrated him, which, with what we know about Sinestro now, probably wouldn't be too much of a surprise. Page 11, panel 3, we get a shot of Clendon obviously getting a bit more psycho than usual as he just turns and unloads a bullet into one of the prisoners, who's only asking for Clendon to release him. Clendon is definitely losing it, and you can really tell on this panel is he's got a sort of deranged look on his face, and the escapees that are with him are just shocked that he put a bullet into this guy without any signs of remorse. And then page 13, panel 2, is Clendon's threatening one of the guys for thinking that his plan may not be working out. He puts the gun up to his nose and says, Shut up, homie. Again with the homie thing. It it seems off. Granted, I haven't been in a maximum security prison and don't know what language might be in it, but homie just doesn't sound like a word that a bunch of white guys would be saying, even in a prison situation. Page 14, we get a really nice splash page as Clendon has basically released all the prisoners from the jail and they're all exiting their cells and causing all kind of commotion, just starting fights and throwing people over the railings. And even one of the guys has a a torch, which is kind of odd. I mean, the way it looks, it looks like the torch might be just a roll of toilet paper on top of a broomstick handle. But you've got to kind of wonder, where did they get the matches to light this torch on fire? It's just a bit out of place. Page 18, panel 2, after Clinton has his little moment with power with the ring, blasting through a wall and everything, Sinestro turn, or sorry, Will Astro turns back into Sinestro and basically schools Clinton on the use of the ring as Clendon fires at him, and Sinestro basically blocks the beam with a simple hand construct. It's a nice moment, showing that even if you have the most powerful weapon in the universe, if you don't know how to use it, it's pretty much worthless. Then on the same page, panel 7, Guy pulls a bit of a dirty Harry. Uh Uh-uh. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And in one aspect, it's all kind of awesome, but in another aspect, it's all kind of creepy. You don't want to think of Guy as a cold-blooded killer. I mean, sure, you want to think of him as a sort of bruiser who's willing to beat up someone, maybe break some bones, and basically kick someone around if they're doing bad, but not a killer. But we see in page 19 that he doesn't need the gun to take this guy down. He drops the gun and just basically pounces on him, pommeling him with fists, and almost to the point of killing him until Hal pulls him off of him with a ring construct hand. Yeah, Guy had basically lost it. This whole thing, working in the prison, probably isn't the best idea for Guy, because he just, he actually was the one who went over the edge here. Page 20, panel 3, 
we get Sinestro using his ring to essentially mind-wipe Clinton. Now, I'm wondering, I know the mind-wipe and being able to tamper with people's minds is something that the Green Lantern rings have been able to do for a long time. But is this technically the first instance of this in the sort of post-crisis era of Green Lantern? I'm not really certain. I know in Green Lantern 13, Hal mentioned to the recruits that mind tampering was one of the things that the ring could do, but this is technically set before that, so I'm wondering if this might be the first instance of it being used in the post-crisis continuity. If you've got any idea, go ahead and write in and let me know. Of course, on page 20, Sinestro wants to do the same thing that he did to Clendon to Guy. It's going to mind-wipe him, and... Hal actually stands up for Guy and says that no, he doesn't need to have his brain scrambled. Which I guess is kind of ironic, because here in a couple of years he'll get his brain scrambled anyway. But that finishes my notes up for this issue. We're going to take one more quick break. We're going to play a promo for a podcast that all of you should be listening to, and we'll get back with the final issue of Emerald on 2 right after this. Lancers. I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might Beware my power Green Lantern's Light Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com If you're a Green Lantern fan, and a podcast fan, like I am, like I assume you would be if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely need to go check out Green Lantern's Light. It is one of the newer Green Lantern-based comic podcasts out there on the internet, but it is hosted by some phenomenal podcasters, Jeffrey Taylor... J. David Weeder and Michael Bradley really do a great job bringing their own individual style together and putting forth a great podcast which covers the, well, the 
early pre-crisis run of Green Lantern up till, well, I'm assuming they're going to go all the way up to the modern issues. So like all the rest of the podcasts I promo on the show, go definitely check it out. But as it's awkward segue time, let's go check out issue six of Green Lantern Emerald Dawn Part 2. Issue 6 was titled The Power and the Glory. The cover date was September 1991. Cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. The plot and breakdowns were by Keith Giffen. The dialogue was Gerard Jones. Pencils, M.D. Bright. Inks, Romeo Tangal. Letters, Albert Guzman. Colors, Anthony Tolan. Assistant editor, Kevin Dooley. And editor, Andy Helfer. The story begins as Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, and Sinestro look upon the imposing visages of the Fists of the Guardians. As the androids read the charges against Sinestro, what's left of the escapees round the corner to discover three giant robots. The Fists of the Guardians, or FOGs, or FOGs from now on, tell the prisoners to withdraw, as this is official Green Lantern business. With the FOGs distracted, Sinestro phases through the roof and flies off. Telling how to wait here, the Fogs head after the Rogue Lantern. Seeing that their escape route is now blocked by only two men, the mob rushes forward as Hal changes into Green Lantern and prepares to kick a little ass. Cut to outside, where escaping Sinestro plans to streak to the galactic core to avoid detection. But before he can, he is hit by blasts of green energy from the Fogs. Regaining control after nearly falling to Earth, Sinestro leads the Fogs on a desperate chase until he is knocked into a silo of yellow-covered grain. With his power sapped, the Fogs restrain Sinestro and take him as their captive back to Oa. Back in the prison, Hal is easily mopping up the uprising. He has most of the prisoners locked up as the guards are finishing up the job, so he decides to confront the warden as to the conditions of the jail that led to this breakout. The warden is willing to listen until a guard tells him that the prisoners have all been put back in their own cells, as if someone knew where they belonged. Realizing that he did his job too well, Hal pops off back to his cell, just in time for nightly roll call. The guard says Hal is off the hook for the murder of his roommate, but he'll still have to answer for where he was for the past two days. Resigning to stop running, Hal is suddenly teleported to the Guardian's chamber on home. It seems that Hal has been called as a character witness in the trial of Sinestro. He is initially questioned by his former trainer, who asks him if he taught him how to maintain cosmic order. Hal answers truthfully, trying not to condemn Sinestro's actions, but Sinestro is doing enough to condemn himself. After Hal is finished, Tomar Ray calls Kat Matui to testify. She, like Hal before, is teleported to the chambers, but being unaccustomed to teleportation, begins to blow chunks. Tomar calls for a recess, which allows Hal to leave and meet up with Kilowog. The two talk about Sinestro's plight and what might become of him. Kilowog says that he's seen the Guardians reprimand the lanterns, but never anything this big. Worried, the two wonder what will happen to him. Back in the chambers, Kat Matui has recovered, and presumably the spray of Technicolor Yawn has been cleaned up, and she begins to recount the tale of Sinestro and his quote-unquote protection of their sector. Her tale swings from feelings of rage over what he did, to pity for how he skewed her opinion of the Green Lanterns. 
as she finishes with the statement that she doesn't want revenge, only for her people to live again, Tomar Ray hands the witness over to Sinestro. Approaching his former pupil, he gazes at her stern face and says he has no questions. He is all out of questions. And with that, the Guardians close the trial and begin to deliberate the sentence. Linking minds, the blue barristers come back with the verdict of... Guilty. 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 And sentence Sinestro to the antimatter universe of Quarren. Feeling that he has finally become the agent of chaos, Sinestro vows that he will one day return and take his vengeance on the core. With Sinestro gone, Sector 1417 is without a Green Lantern, to which Tomar nominates Kat Matui as a replacement. And with all plot lines tied up, the Guardians teleport Hal back to the prison, where a guard informs him that his buddy Willie must have escaped during the riot. Wondering if the Guardians made the prison staff forget that he was missing for two days as well, Hal worries if he has gotten in over his head with the Guardians. Some time has passed, and Hal is meeting with Guy Gardner for the last time as he is being released. Guy tells Hal that he's getting out of the caseworker job because it just seems to bring out the angry side of him. As they walk out of the prison, Guy hands Hal a letter that was sent to him and was addressed to Hal. Guy also says that the whole thing with the ring will be their little secret. As Hal is escorted out of the prison by the guard from the beginning, he opens the letter. It's a missive from Willie, thanking Hal for the early release, saying that his secret is safe with him and that he'll see him next time. Burning the letter with his ring, Hal remarks, Sorry to disappoint you, Willie. Won't be a next time. As Jack and Dean run up to greet their newly paroled friend. Now, as much as I love the origin of Hal as Green Lantern and Emerald Dawn, I really enjoy this story quite a bit more. The story is really great. The characters have a lot more depth, and there's a lot more characters to get into in the story. Uh, The bigger supporting cast really makes it for a larger, broader story that focuses on not just Hal and Sinestro, but the entire world that's going on around him. And I really enjoyed it. Gerard Jones and Keith Giffen came up with a great story. And Brighton Tangal just did some amazing art to basically put together a great package that was a nice sequel to the whole origin story of Hal Jordan. And also, one thing that I did notice in this issue, as well as the other previous five, the titles all had a little thing in common. They all had the word power somewhere in the title. And I think I kind of recognize that because the last 
title for issue six was called The Power and the Glory. And that's a line from a... Well, I'm going to make myself sound geeky. That's a line from a Rush song, and I'm a big Rush fan, and so it just kind of hit me that, hey, maybe these issues have uh, some sort of correlation in their titles, and guess what? Yes, they did. But enough geekiness about me being a Rush fan. Let's go ahead and get on to the notes. First of all, the cover is a really great cover. You've got Sinestro sort of bent down in front of the Guardians and Hal and Tomar Ray as it looks as he's straining in agony to overcome something. Sadly, from the way he's positioned, it looks like he may be overcoming an in- either an invisible prostate exam or a really bad bean burrito. Yet, it could be misinterpreted that Sinestro might be relieving himself on the cover. Sorry. Just what it looks like. Page 3, panel 5, as the Fogs are interrogating Sinestro and basically telling the other prisoners that this is Green Lantern business, Sinestro makes his escape, of course, by phasing through the ceiling, rather than blasting through it. Which, oddly enough, in page 4, panel 2, the Fogs do exactly the opposite, as they smash light through the ceiling. Kind of makes you wonder whether or not the robots have the same abilities that the lanterns have, or whether the emerald energy works different on robotic entities rather than organic entities. But then again, I guess you'd have to take into consideration Stell. I think he's one of the current Green Lanterns who is an android of some sort. But unfortunately, I'm not up on my current Green Lantern, so forgive me if I'm getting that point wrong. And same page, panel four. We get the prison escapees using more slang that really isn't appropriate for their characters. One of the guys is saying, And you saying they come for us, Holmes? Yeah, I think it's just another example of the writers imagining what prison dialect should be like. Page 6, panel 3. Just to add to the whole idea that Sinestro might be a bit of a freak in the sort of, well tie me up, tie me up, beat me way. Sinestro gets hit in the head with a construct that looks kind of phallic. Well, very phallic. It's a beam of light from the fogs that's basically a large shaft, but at the end of the shaft, it's got sort of a mushroom head. I don't know whether they were just trying to be subtle and make some sort of commentary, but you look at the artwork, and there is definitely a delineation between the beam and the tip. So it's looking pretty phallic. And then on the same page, panel 5, oh my, how convenient. The fogs just knocked Sinestro into a grain silo that was filled with yellow grain. Wow, now Sinestro's powerless. Isn't that a, isn't that a great stroke of luck? However, page 7... The uh, yellow grain that's all around, and you've got to assume in the air, doesn't seem to affect the fogs, as they're able to put construct restraints around Sinestro. I'm wondering if this might be that, since the fogs aren't really organic beings, that they're androids, that they wouldn't be affected by the idea of fear, and they wouldn't therefore have the yellow impurity. 
Now, this sort of follows modern-day continuity, but you know it could be something that Giffen and Jones might be seeding in this origin story. Page 9, panel 2. I really enjoyed this scene where, when Hal approaches the Warden, the Warden refers to Green Lantern as a masked man. This is one of the neat things in the Green Lantern movie, where instead of calling Hal Jordan, or the Green Lantern essentially, a superhero, they called him a mystery man, which of course was a throwback to the whole 1940s feel of superheroes before Superman came around. Back in that time, they were just usually referred to as mystery men. Page 12, you hear, or you probably heard the old statement of that the man who defends himself has a fool for his lawyer. For Sinestro, has this never before been more true? Page 14, panel 4, we get Kilowog! Woohoo! Kilowog! Now, he's here, but unfortunately in panel 5, he doesn't look too good. Uh, you know, this is the one instance where Tongal's and Bright's art look a little off. His face looks kind of odd. It's very flat. It kind of looks like Kilowog might be wearing the Terror Mask. <laughs> Yeah, there's a nice callback to some of the ads that we had at the beginning of the show. Page 15, we get an awesome multi-panel page of Kat Matui giving her testimony against Sinestro. Like I said in the synopsis, it goes from her saying how much she admired Sinestro and thought of him as a hero, to how much she despised him as she as Sinestro tricked her and basically turned her against the Green Lantern Corps. And in the end, you see the sort of resolve in her eyes that she doesn't want Sinestro hurt. She doesn't want him killed. She just wants to have her life back. And it's a really good multi-panel page. And you can tell that the actual ongoing dialogue that Kat Matui is giving is much longer. They've just taken the pertinent pieces and placed them in these panels. Really good use of panel work and a really good use of dialogue. Next on page 16, panels 3 and 5, the look on Kat Matui's face as Sinestro approaches her, thinking that he's going to change her opinion, is this look of just stoic disapproval, that Sinestro has no more power over her, and no more power over her people, and it's a really, to use the word again, empowering shot. You know, she's realized that this tyrant can do nothing to hurt her anymore. And it's an awesome shot of basically the victim being able to be out from underneath the dominance of the oppressor. Page 18, panel 3. This is a really neat shot, neat shot as well. Sinestro, after hearing his verdict, being sentenced to the antimatter universe of Cord, has now decided the best way to resolve things is to flip everyone off. Now... His hand's cut off in the panel, so you really can't tell that he's flipping you the bird, but you kind of got the idea that he is. But the one thing that he is doing is this, basically this flip-off that Wikipedia defines as the bras de honneur. I guess it's a French term, so I'm probably butchering the word. But basically it's where you take your outstretched, say your outstretched right arm, put it palm size up, ball it into a fist, then take your other arm, place it over your bicep, and pull your right arm up in a uh, sort of flexing manner. 
you've probably seen it done before, and basically Sinestro is just giving us all the bird, but because this is a comic book, we really couldn't see one of the major villains, you know, flipping the characters the bird. And finally, on page 22, panels 5 and 6, the ending pretty much parallels Howard's release from prison in Emerald Dawn. However, in that issue, in issue number 6 of that run, it seems that it was Jack and Dee who greeted Hal as he exited the prison. Now, Dee is a blonde, and in this issue, it seems that there is a brunette greeting Hal. So it looks more like it might be Jack and Carol greeting Hal in this one. So there's a bit of a continuity error error between the two issues, but it's not so grievous to basically destroy the storyline. But that is the end of my notes for this issue, and the end of my notes for Emerald Dawn 2. I hope you guys really enjoyed these past issues. I really liked covering them. Uh, It was nice to go back and read them, and nice to find out some of the things that I had forgotten about them. Mainly that, you know, Guy Gardner was in there, and the great, great way that they handled the dealings with Sinestro and his downfall. As I've said many times before, I'm not really following current continuity all that much. I'm not really collecting any of the current Green Lantern comics, so I really don't know what's going on with Sinestro right now, but I know he's back in the comics, and I know he's a Green Lantern, so it is interesting to see how these eventually will parallel with the modern comic continuity, which basically has only carried on from the pre-New 52 storylines. I'd also like to thank you for dealing with me throughout this last episode. Hopefully, by the time I come back, my voice will be in much better condition, and I won't have you bleeding from the ears having to listen to my raspy, horrible voice. Also, speaking about me coming back, to pull back the curtain a little bit, I've recorded a few episodes in advance. Uh, If all this works out, by the time this issue goes up, I will have been returning from a vacation, a long-overdue vacation, that I've taken with my wife in the wonderful, wonderful country of Italy. It's my wife's 40th birthday, and the one thing that she said she wanted was to go back to Rome. And my credit card allowing, I'm taking her there. Of course, if over the next few issues I sound a little woozy, it's probably because I'm selling plasma twice a week to pay for the trip. But I'm one of those guys who believes that if you're going to do a podcast and you're going to make it a weekly podcast, you might as well put out one weekly. So rather than take a week off and have a podcast not come out, I decided to record a couple of podcasts in advance so that there wouldn't be any gap in the show. So... I hope you guys enjoyed the little bit of extra effort that I put in for it. And I hope that you'll be coming back next week when we're going to go back to our regular comics. And we're going to start with Green Lantern number 14, which is the first part of the four-part story arc of Jon Stewart dealing with the disparate aliens on the planet of Oa in the story arc titled Jose. So, I'll catch you in a week. I hope you guys have a good one, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Moon. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet 
that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to the end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as the scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like doing. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account on Facebook. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks again for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's podcast was Jailbreak by the group Thin Lizzy, off their album, aptly titled Jailbreak. If you'd like to download this song, please go by iTunes and download it there, or even better, go by the website 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, click the Amazon.com banner at the top of the site, and download the song, album, or buy the album from Amazon there. You'll be helping out a podcast friend of mine and making sure that Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner don't have to turn to male prostitution in order to pay for their podcast feed.